Amen. All right, well, we've been going through a series on Sunday nights on the subject of the Holy Spirit, and it's been a very uh, doctrinal type uh, series. We've been learning about the Holy Spirit. And if you remember, we started uh, four weeks ago, and I began with a sermon entitled The Person of the Holy Spirit, and we started looking at the Holy Spirit as a person, and I'm not going to go through and, and recap all those things, but we, we saw that He's not just an energy, He's not just a force, He is a person, and then uh, the second week, we talked about the Holy Spirit as God, and of course, we went through and showed that He is uh, God, and He is God in His own right. Last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit in the Trinity, and I just uh, felt like it was important to kind of bring those uh, th- those thoughts together, because of course, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit as a person, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit as God, we're talking about Him as a third person of the Godhead uh, or the the Trinity. So we we talked about that last week, and of course, um, if you need to get caught up on any of those, I encourage you to find those on our website or on our YouTube channel. Tonight, we're going to learn about the work of the Holy Spirit, and what I'd like to do is I'd like to uh, give you seven. Uh, seven different areas in which the Holy Spirit desires to work um, in us or through us or the work that He does for us. So the work He does for us, the work He does in us, the work He does through us. And uh, we won't spend a lot of uh, any more time than we need to. We'll, we'll go through it quickly, but we're going to be flipping to a lot of pages. Now, in John 14, we have the Lord Jesus Christ giving some final statements to His disciples right before He dies. And in fact, John 14, 15, and 16 are this conversation that He's having with His disciples. And what's interesting, and we're not going to develop this tonight, but in, this, in those chapters, He talks a lot about the Comforter and the Holy Spirit. And He gives us, and we're going we're gonna, to uh, highlight those tonight and, and look at those tonight. But I want you to notice that there are seven areas, and there may be more in the way that people categorize these, may be different. This is how I categorize them. Uh, but I categorize seven areas, or I found seven areas in which uh, the Holy Spirit works in the lives of believers. So I'll give these to you, and we'll, we'll run through them. If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. Number one, the Holy Spirit indwells believers. The Holy Spirit indwells believers. Are you there in John 14? Look at verse number 16. John chapter 14 and verse 16 says this, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, another in reference to other than himself, because Jesus was there comforting them, but he's he's telling them, I'm going to go away, and the Father's going to give you another comforter. Notice what he says, that he may abide with you forever. Who is he talking about? Verse 17, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. And I want you to notice the wording here. For he dwelleth with you, and it says, and shall be in you. So I want you to notice that Jesus taught that the Holy Spirit was going to indwell believers. Now, I do want you to notice the last part of that verse where he says, and shall be in you. And notice that that is future tense. He's not saying he's in you, but he's going to, uh, he's going to be in you. The reason for that is because at that point, when Jesus spoke those words, the Holy Spirit was not yet indwelling believers. Now, we're not going to talk about that tonight. We're going to have another sermon in this series when we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament versus the New Testament, same Holy Spirit, but had different works and had different things that He did. In the Old Testament, He did not indwell believers. In the New Testament, He does indwell believers. If you're wondering why or what the answer to that question is, we're going to talk about it in another sermon, all right? But just for now, know and realize that the reason that that's future tense shall be in you is because at that point when Jesus spoke those words, the Holy Spirit was not yet indwelling believers because he had not 
yet died, been resurrected, ascended, and all those things. You're there in John. Keep your place in John. We're going to come to John a lot throughout the sermon tonight. But go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So you're there in John. You've got Acts, Romans, and 1 Corinthians. John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And look at verse number 16. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Know ye not, know ye not that, notice these words, ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God, notice, dwelleth in you. This is now Paul writing, of course, after the ascension of Christ, and he's now speaking in uh, present tense, the Holy Spirit dwells you. He says, ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God... Him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So he says, you are the temple of God, and the Holy Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You're there in chapter 3. Just a few, uh, flip a few pages over to chapter 6. Look at verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 says this. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Notice these words. Verse 19, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Which is in you. Which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God, notice the words, in your body and in your spirit, which are God. So the Bible very, clear, very clearly teaches that the Holy Spirit is going to indwell you, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, you're there in 1 Corinthians, just one book over. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, while you turn there, let me read to you from 2 Timothy 1.14. You go to 2 Corinthians 6, I'll read to you from 2 Timothy 1.14. The Bible says this, That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. So it's very clear throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16 says this, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So I want you to notice, and you say, this is basic. We understand the Holy Spirit dwells us. But the, the basis of the Holy Spirit's work in uh, believers is, is started. The principle, the foundation begins with the fact that the Holy Spirit indwells you and I. The Holy Spirit of God is living inside of us. And if you notice verse 16, we have a verse that affirms the Trinity. It affirms the deity of the Holy Spirit. It affirms the fact that God, one God, one being, one entity exists in three persons. Because he says, I will dwell, dwell uh, he, he says, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And then he says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. He said there, as God had said, I will dwell in them. So God said, I will dwell in them, yet the Holy Spirit isn't dwelling you. What does that mean? Here's what that means. God is indwelling you. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. So the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit indwells. You're there in 2 Corinthians. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. If you're in 2 Corinthians Go to Galatians, Ephesians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. And for those of you that are soul winners, I would encourage you to make a note of these verses because these verses that I'm going to show you right now, they're, they're sometimes good verses to use out soul winning. I'm not saying they need to be part of your presentation, but every once in a while, they might be helpful, and I'll point that out for you. But in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, we learn this. And let me give you the second point. Point number one is this, the Holy Spirit indwells. We're learning about the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells believers. Point number two is this, the Holy Spirit seals. The Holy Spirit seals believers. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 says this, In whom ye also trusted, 
After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. And this is what I was saying, that this is a good uh, verse for soul winners to kind of uh, to, to have in their arsenal. Because sometimes people are confused by this word believe. They're not sure what that word means. And the word believe can have a lot of different definitions. Even the word faith can mean different things to different people. But here the Bible, the Bible, God's word, it's its own dictionary. The, God, the, 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 the Bible defines itself. And here we're, we're told, these. notice the phrase, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth. By the way, that's the only way you can get saved is by hearing the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. But notice the wording. He says, in whom ye also trusted. Then he says this, in whom also after that ye believed. He's using these words, believe and trusted, synonymously. Why? Because he says, in whom ye also trusted, in whom... Uh, also after that you believe. Why? Because when we say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, what we mean by that is to place your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not saying believe like you believe he existed. Okay? The, the, the devils believe and tremble, the Bible says. But when we say believe, we're saying we are putting our trust completely in Him. We're, our faith is in Him, meaning our trust. We are trusting in His death, burial, resurrection as the atonement, as the sacrifice for our sins. It's not me living a good life. It's not me going to church. It's not me turning over a new leaf. It's not me repenting of my sins. It's not me doing anything. It's me trusting in Him. So He says, in whom you also trusted... After that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed. You say, what happens after you believe? Notice. Because this, this teaching of the Holy Spirit sealing you is under attack today by the Pentecostals. He says, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. I, I like how the Holy Spirit has several different names. I don't know if we're going to do it in this series, but we could spend an entire sermon just going through the different names of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has different names, and when He is given different names, you ought to pay attention, because He is given different names to highlight within the context of what it is that He's trying to do. You say, why are we sealed with the Holy Spirit? Well, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Why? Because the sealing of the Holy Spirit is what keeps the promise of God for eternal life. Now, there's a couple things I want you to notice from this verse. Today, the Pentecostals will say that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit or the sealing of the Holy Spirit comes after. They teach that salvation is a process. And step number one, and by the way, it's not just the Pentecostals, it's many false religions. The Mormons teach the exact same thing. They'll say the first step in the process of salvation is believe. You've got to believe. But then they'll say, you also got to repent of your sins. Then they'll say, you also got to get baptized. Then they'll say, eventually, you'll get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit or the sealing of the Holy Spirit, and that'll be confirmed through speaking in tongues. And I don't have time to go into that. We'll deal with that at a different time in this series at a different sermon. The point is this. The Bible does not teach that because the Bible says clearly, in whom you also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. Notice, he's saying, something happened also after that ye believed. What happened also after that you believed? You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So according to this verse, when you get the Holy Spirit, you get Him immediately. When you believe, the Holy Spirit comes in to indwell you and He seals you. And that sealing has to do with the promise of salvation. And what is the wording? When Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus 
at uh, the, the ancient uh, times, you know, we're, we're talking about a document here that's 2,000 uh, years old. The idea was, and they understood that when a king or a principality or some sort of governor or ruler would give out some sort of decree or a letter, he would send out that, that decree in order for them to know that it came from the king, that it came from, that it came with authority. They would have a seal that would be put on that letter uh, in order to show you, hey, this document comes from and belongs to the authority of the king or the prince or the governor or whatever it might be. And what the Bible says is that when you got saved, God sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise, taking ownership of you. This is why he says that you're to, to glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Because when you got saved, the Holy Spirit moved in and you now belong to God. Notice what he says in verse 14. He continues this idea of eternal security. Verse 14, which is the earnest? What is the earnest? The Holy Spirit. Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, notice, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Why don't you notice in verse 14, the terminology changes to a financial type of terminology now. He says the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. He says there was a purchase that was made, right? Because he purchased you, he redeemed you in salvation, and the Holy Spirit is the earnest of that purchase. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. You're there in Ephesians 1, just flip a few pages over. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 says this. Ephesians 4, 30, and grieve not, the Holy Spirit of God. Notice, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. He said that he is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Here he says we are sealed, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Are there any Ephesians? Just going to go backwards. Ephesians, Galatians, 2 Corinthians. Ephesians, Galatians, 2 Corinthians. When you get to 2 Corinthians... Uh, do me a favor and put a ribbon there or a bookmark or a bulletin. We're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. So I want you to be able to get to it clearly, clear, quickly, excuse me. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and look at verse number 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. He says this, Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, notice, who hath also sealed us, notice how these terms are used together, and given the earnest of the Spirit in our He says that the Holy Spirit seals us and he became the earnest of our salvation. He became the earnest of the purchased possession. You say, well, what does that mean? The idea that the Apostle Paul is trying to convey here, and with that that term earnest, it's a financial term. Today, even today, we talk about earnest money. Let me give you a definition for what earnest money is. Earnest money is a deposit made to a seller showing the buyer's intent to purchase. Often used in real estate transactions, earnest money may be lost if the buyer backs out of the transaction. And what earnest money is, is that you, uh, when you're going to make some sort of major purchase where there's a lot of money be go, being exchanged back and forth, then when you walk up and say, yes, I think I want to buy this property or I want to buy this house or I want to buy this building, then the seller will say, well, I need to know that you're serious about actually purchasing this property. I don't need you to have all of the money ready. Uh, I, I, I will, in faith, believe that you will come back to make 
make the redemption of the purchased possession, but I need you to put down some earnest money. I need you to put down some money to show that you are serious about making this purchase. And when you come back, you can get your earnest money back or it'll go into the sale. But if you don't come back, if you leave and you walk away and you decide, ah, I changed my mind. I don't want to buy that property anymore. I don't want to buy that house. Then we're going to take that earnest money and we're, it, it's going to be the way that you show us that you are serious. And here's what God says. He takes that analogy and he says, I have given you the Holy Spirit of God as the earnest of the purchase redemption of your salvation. You say, I don't know. Could we lose your salvation? Look, the, the, if God allowed you to lose your salvation, he'd have to be willing to walk away from the Holy Spirit. The idea there is that God says, the purchase possession... The, the coming back of, of my son to redeem you, not just in soul and spirit, but physically, the fact that I'm coming back for you is so sured of that I'm willing to put the third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, at risk. In fact, I'll put him as a down payment. I'll put him as an earnest. And God says, if I back out of the deal, then I'll lose the Holy Spirit. And, and here's the point that I'm telling you. God isn't losing the Holy Spirit. So the sealing of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit, the earnest of the Spirit is just one more assurance of the eternal security of the believer. Go to 1 John chapter 2. If you, if you start from the book of Revelation and head back, you're going to have Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1 John. We're talking about the works of the Holy Spirit. So far we've learned that the Holy Spirit will indwell you. And the Holy Spirit will seal you, and he becomes the earnest of our salvation. But I'd like you to notice, thirdly, tonight, the Holy Spirit will teach you. The Holy Spirit teaches. He indwells, he seals, and he teaches. First John chapter 2, look at verse 27. The Bible says this, But the anointing, and the term here, anointing, is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to go into tonight, but we will have a sermon in this series where we go through and talk about all the different things that the Holy Spirit is pictured as throughout Scripture. And one thing that he's pictured as is oil that is used to anoint. And this is what First John is talking about. It's using that illustration to speak about the Holy Spirit. He says, But the anointing which ye have received of him, notice, abideth in you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit indwells you. And ye need not, notice the words, ye need not that any man teach you, but that same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. The Bible says that there's an anointing that is in you, and that same anointing teacheth you of all things. Now go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you kept your place there. Uh, I think I asked you to keep your place there. Uh, I'm sorry, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You kept your place in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Or you kept your place in 2 Corinthians, but I want you to go to 1 Corinthians. That's what I meant. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and look at verse number 7. And here's the point. God gave you the Holy Spirit, and if you're saved, if you've got the Holy Spirit indwelling you, the Holy Spirit will teach you. The Bible even says, you need not that any man teach you, but the Holy Ghost, the, whole, the, the anointing, the Spirit of God, will teach you because one of his works that he does is to be inside of the believer to help you understand scripture. This is one reason that I, and I, I would encourage you to do the same if you can, but one, one thing that I try to do is, I've got this stinking devil trying to mess with me. 
and I can't get rid of it. But one of the things that I try to do whenever I sit down to study the Bible, either as I'm going to read the Bible just in my personal devotional time, or I'm going to study, I'm going to write a sermon, whatever it might be, I, I, I pray this, this psalm, and I, I pray to the Holy Spirit, open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. You say, why do you pray that? I pray that because it is the Holy Spirit's job to teach me what the Bible says, and it is the Holy Spirit's job to guide me and to teach me. Are you there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Look at verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7. Notice what the Bible says is this. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. And I want you to, I'm going to slow down here because the wording here is a little difficult, but I want you to notice what he's saying. He's saying, we as believers, when we stand up and we preach the word of God, we speak the wisdom of God, but it's a mystery. To the world, it doesn't quite make sense. Notice, even the hidden wisdom, the wisdom of God is hidden, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Look at verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew. He says, God gave his wisdom in the word of God, but it was a mystery. It was hidden. And none of the princes, none of the leaders, none of the rulers of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Here's what he's saying. If they would have known what Moses wrote, if they would have understood what Isaiah wrote, if they would have understood what Ezekiel wrote, and here we're talking specifically about the Jews, if they would have understood what the Old Testament actually said, they would not have crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Look at verse 9. But as it is written... I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, let me say this. Usually when you see 1 Corinthians 2.9, people will apply that to heaven. And they'll say, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And they'll say, see, you can't understand or comprehend the things that God prepared for you in heaven. And, and listen... That's fine. I don't have an issue with people doing that. I'm sure I may have done that at some point. But when you look at this verse in its proper context, it is not talking about heaven. It's talking about the word of God. It's saying that the hidden mystery in God's word is not understood by man. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Verse 10, but God hath revealed them. God hath revealed what? His word. Notice. Unto us, how? By spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Here's what he's saying. Human beings cannot understand the word of God. This Bible is a spiritual book. And fleshly, carnal man cannot understand the Bible, the only way that you can understand the Bible, the only way that I can understand the Bible, is when we have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us leading us. He says, For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us to God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That's why we have so many cross-references. That's why we'll say, go over here, go over there, compare these two things. Why? Because this is how we learn the Bible. The Holy Spirit will teach us comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Notice, we're not, comparing, we're, not, we're, not, we're not comparing spiritual things with man's wisdom. We're not bringing psychology and man's thinking up here. 
We just open up the Word of God and let the Word of God teach us through the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Look, unbelievers cannot understand the Bible. Unbelievers, unregenerate man, the natural man, the non-spiritual man cannot understand. Receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. You say, what's the proof of that? The proof is all of the false religions out there. That they're, they're all doing the exact opposite. I mean, they're all doing the exact opposite of what the Bible tells you to do. They're all believing the exact opposite of what the Bible tells you to believe. They're, they're all following the exact opposite of what God says. You say, what's the, what's, the, what's the reason for that? Here's the reason for that. When you give an unsaved man the Bible and you ask him to teach it to you, he's not going to get it. He's going to look at verses that say, not of works, lest any man should boast, and, and then teach. But you've you got to live a good life. Better, better, you know, better make sure that you're living right and doing right. I mean, they're going to look at verses that tell you all sorts of things. And they're just not going to get it. Why? You say, what's the reason? Because the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? For they are foolishness unto them. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And the only reason you know the Bible, and the only reason I get to know the Bible, is because the Holy Spirit of God indwells us. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. And by the way, let me just say this. When you get around someone who says they're saved and they can't understand just the most basic scriptural doctrines, okay? I'm not talking about Daniel's 40th week, okay? I'm not talking about the book of Ezekiel. And, and, you know, you never knew that there's a prophecy of Alexander the Great and Ezekiel? We're not talking about that, okay? That's very about this church level, all right? I'm just talking about just basic doctrines from the Word of God. You're talking to them, and it's just like... I mean, just yesterday, my, 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 my wife and my sister were out soul winning, and... and and they're talking to this guy. He says he's a Christian. Total work salvation. You know, he, he goes to a verse where he says, where the Bible says that if, if, if we walk in the light, as he in the, is, is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And he talks about having fellowship with God. And he's like, see, you have to walk in the light to be saved. And it's like, it's, it's talking about having fellowship with God. It's not talking about salvation. It's saying, look, yeah, once you're saved, you better walk in the light if you want to have a good relationship with God. And, you know, they're, and, and they're using the illustration of, look, my, my son, he's my son, but if he does right, then we're going to have a good relationship. It doesn't change the fact that he's my son. And it's just like, no, you got to live a good life. Well, you say, why is that? Here's why it is. Because the natural man understandeth not the things of the Spirit of God. They can't understand them. They can't get it. We have to preach the gospel to them and hope that the Holy Spirit works with them to be able to understand the things of God. Ephesians 1, look at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom, notice, and revelation in the knowledge of him. Notice verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The Holy Spirit teaches you. Go back to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, look at verse 26. John chapter 14, verse 26. John 14, 26, it says this, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, knows what he says, John 14, 26, He shall teach you all things. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things. Who's going to teach you? The Holy Ghost. The anointing that's in you. 
But I want you to notice what it says, though. And bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, who's speaking? It's Jesus. And what is Jesus? Jesus is the Word. And here's what I want you to understand. The Holy Spirit, we saw this, um, I think, last week or the week before that. But we, we talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit will not speak of himself. Do you remember that verse? And we talked about the fact that the word of there is not talking about the subject, but the source. It's not that the Holy Spirit's not going to speak of himself, like he's not ever going to talk about the Holy Spirit, but he's not going to speak from himself, meaning he will not be the source of what he speaks of. Here's what he's saying. The Holy Spirit is only here to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ as the third person of the Godhead. He submitted himself under the authority of the second person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is here to glorify Christ, and he's not going to take of his own. He's only going to give of what Jesus, the Word, has already given. Here's the point. The Holy Spirit is only going to teach you from what you've already read in the Word of God. There's no such thing as the Holy Spirit spoke to me and gave me a revelation. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit does not speak of himself. He only speaks of the Bible. So people say, oh, I got a word of faith. The Holy Spirit told me that you should. No, I don't know what voices you're hearing in your head, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. It might have been another spirit. It might have been an unclean spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. What the Word has said, what you've read from the Word, that's what the Holy Spirit is going to bring to your remembrance. You say, well, how can I get the Holy Spirit to teach me? Here's how you do it. You read and read and read and read and read the Bible. And as you read and read and read and read and read the Bible... Sometimes you'll be out there soul winning and you'll, you'll, you'll be giving the gospel to someone and they'll ask you a question and all of a sudden this verse will just pop in your head. And it'll just be the perfect verse to be able to uh, help that individual. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit didn't just whisper that in your ear. You read that and he brought it into your remembrance. Sometimes you guys, you'll be preaching and you'll be preaching away, preaching away. And some verse will come into your mind and your heart that's not even in your notes. And you'll quote it or you'll say or you'll refer back to it. And, and someone will say afterwards, man, the sermon was great. But that one part where you brought up that one verse, that really helped me. And I think to myself, that wasn't even in my notes. That was the Holy Spirit of God bringing that up to my thoughts, bringing that to my remembrance to help and teach you. But here's the thing. He doesn't do that without me reading the Bible. He's only going to teach me and bring all things to your remembrance. So if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, it better sound like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Ezekiel, Isaiah. better sound like First and Second Samuel. Okay? It, it, it better sound like Alexander Scurby on your uh, iPod because he's only going to speak to you from his word. But the Bible says this, that ye need not that any man teach you. And here's the honest truth, and, I, and I'm afraid to say this because some of you are going to think, oh, then I don't have to go to church. But you don't need anyone to teach you. The Holy Spirit will teach you. Here's the difference. You say, I don't need your pastor. Well, here's the difference. If you're willing to put in the work. Because here's the honest truth. You haven't read the Bible that much, many of you. And, and, and those of us who teach and preach the Word of God, we've read the Bible scores of times, many times. And, and, and sometimes people come to me and they'll say, man, it's crazy how you can connect the dots with this and that. But honestly, that didn't, that didn't happen last week. Okay, that happened after years and years and years of reading the Bible over and over and over and over and over. And sometimes you're reading some, you're studying some odd passage in Ezekiel and you're like, this kind of sounds to me like Revelation. 
This kind of sounds like this. And then you go back and study, you're like, whoa, it's connected. Why does that happen? Because you've read the Bible, you've studied the Bible, and the Holy Spirit of God will teach you. Now, here's the thing. God has ordained church. God has given you a pastor in order to teach you. you but, but there's nothing that I preach here that you couldn't get on your own with the King James Bible and the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? But here's the point. Those of us that have been given the opportunity to lead and teach and preach spiritually, our job is to help you go further faster. Our job is to help you connect some of those dots and get some of that teaching further, but then your job is to go home like the Bereans and to search the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He indwells you. What does He do? He seals you. What did He do? He teaches you. Number four, you're there in John 14. Go to John 15. The Holy Spirit bears witness. The Holy Spirit bears witness. John 14, verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, who I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, notice, he shall testify of me. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is going to testify of me. And he also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Go to Romans chapter 8. You're there in John, Acts, Romans. Just a couple, couple books over. John, Acts, Romans, Romans chapter 8. <sighs> Growing up in a Baptist church, I, I, I heard about this, a lot about this. And I, 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 honestly, I'll, I'll uh, confess my faults. I don't talk a lot about this, and, 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 may, and may, I, I probably should. But the Bible teaches, and I don't talk a lot about this, so this may be new to some of you, but it's in the Bible. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit of God actually helps with the assurance of a believer. Sometimes people go through life just thinking like, I don't know if I'm saved, I don't know if I'm saved. But the Bible teaches, and I'm not trying to turn this into a feely thing. That's why I, I avoid it sometimes because it, it gets a little too feely and we want to be careful about our feelings. So sometimes we, we, we confuse our feelings with, with God and, and we confuse our heart with God. And the problem with your heart and my heart is that the heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? And, and so you want to be careful about that. But this is what the Bible says, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear... But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And we understand that the way we know whether somebody is saved is by judging what comes out of their mouth, their testimony. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. This is why we teach our soul winners to go out. Go to Galatians chapter 4. Romans 4, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. This is why we teach our soul winners to go out and knock on doors. We don't ask, are you a Christian? Say, why don't you ask, are you a Christian? Because a Mormon will say they're a Christian. We don't, we don't even ask, are you saved? And that's, that's a good word. Nothing wrong with that. But it's too vague. You say, what do we ask? We ask, do you know for sure if that today are you on your way to heaven? You say, why do you ask that? Because the answer to that question will tell us what they're trusting. No. Well, then, can we show you how you can know? Yes. Well, what are you trusting in to get you to heaven? What gives you that confidence? Remember, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that you believed? What are you trusting in to get you to heaven? Well, I got baptized. Wrong answer. Well, my grand, you know, somebody told me, my grandmother's a Baptist minister. I'm like, good night. I mean, I'm not even sure where to start with that. You know, the answer to the question tells you what they're trusting, which is why we ask that. But the Bible teaches that if you're, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit itself should bear witness with your spirit that you are the children of God. And there's an assurance there. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, But when the fullness of the time was come, 
God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law, Galatians 4 verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Notice verse 6. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the Holy Spirit also bears witness. That's why I, I like that song, He Lives. He lives, He lives. Christ Jesus lives in me. He walks with me and talks to me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. That's a very scriptural song. Because the Holy Spirit, because the Bible says that because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And honestly, the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God ought to bear witness with your spirit that you are a son of God, that you are a child of God. And by the way, this is why you want to be very careful with trying to put words into people's mouths. And often this is done by parents with their children. You know, a kid, you're talking to a kid and he's not clearly not saved. Dad's like, hey, you got saved, don't you remember? You were two and a half years old and I led you through that prayer. You know, if they can't communicate to you what salvation is, they're not saved. It's okay. Don't force that. If they got the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is going to say, yes, God is my Father. The Holy Spirit of God is going to produce that in them to cry, Abba, Father. So you say, oh, did I fail? You know what? With kids, sometimes just give them the gospel and pray with them and give them the gospel. You know, here's the advice I give parents. Give the gospel to your kids as soon as you're able to and... If they understand it, pray with them. And two weeks later, if you ask about it and they're just clueless, don't say, don't you remember? Just give them the gospel again and pray with them. And two weeks later or three weeks later, if they're clueless, just give them the gospel again and pray with them. You say, what, how long do I do that? You do it till they, till they of their own accord. Not with you feeding them the words. Now, son, okay, I don't want to tell you the answer, but I'm looking for the, where the word is, uh, uh, rhymes with relieve, okay? Um, I don't want, you know, remember we talked about eternal, eternal, okay? You're doing them a disservice. They should be, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If the Holy Spirit of God is in their hearts, they should be able to communicate it. They should be able to express it. They should be able to testify of it. And look, sometimes people don't get it. Give them time. Worst thing you could do is to just keep, you know, someone, someone in your family's not saved, and you're just, every time I see him, I'm just going to get him and get him and get him and get him. Look, just let, let them, you know, once you plant that seed and you're clear, you're clear, let the Holy Spirit do his work. That's why Paul said, someone planted, uh, uh, he said, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So the Holy Spirit will bear witness. Uh, let's see, go to John chapter uh, 16. John 16. We're talking about the works of the Holy Spirit. Number one, he indwells. Number two, he seals. He's the earnest. Number three, he teaches. Number four, he bears witness. Number five, the Holy Spirit reproves. The Holy Spirit reproves. John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove. See that word? Reprove. The word of reprove means to express disapproval, to reprimand, or to rebuke. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of the world is judged. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is going to reprove. By the way, this is why the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19... 
Quench not the spirit. Okay? Because here's what happens. And, and here's what you need to understand. When you stand up, you guys who stand up to preach the word of God, okay? It doesn't matter how eloquent you are. Doesn't have, it doesn't matter how dynamic you are. It doesn't matter how great of a speaker you are. If the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, you're going to fail. This is a spiritual work when you're preaching the gospel. Men, men and women, when you're out there preaching the gospel, work on your presentation, work on the illustrations, work on all those things, but you better have the Holy Spirit of God there. You better pray before you start, Holy Spirit, help me to preach the gospel. Why? Because when we preach the truth of God's word, it is the Holy Spirit that reproves. It, it does no good for me to stand up on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night and have a whole sermon outline. What I need is to preach God's word. And while I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit comes alongside you and says, that's true. Are you listening? That's you. <laughs> Are you listening? This is God. And God, you say, ah, I feel that conviction. Good job. You're saved. I feel guilty. Good. You're, you're a believer. You've got the Holy Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit reproves. And the worst thing that you could do as a Christian is to quench that. Stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit as he reproves, as he expresses disapproval, reprimands, rebukes, as he teaches you. And he'll do that through the preaching of God's word. He'll do that as you read the Bible. Things will jump out at you. Wow, wow. Man, I didn't know the Bible said that. That applies to me. And the Holy Spirit will work in your heart. And in your life. Go to John 16, look at verse 13. Let me give you number six. The Holy Spirit guides. The Holy Spirit guides. John 16, verse 13. Howbeit when He, notice, the Spirit of truth is come, He will guide you into all truth. That kind of goes with, with the teaching, but the point is that He not only teaches you, but He also guides you in all truth. This is the verse I was talking about earlier. For He shall not speak of Himself, referring to the Source, not the subject. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So as you read the Bible, you're reading the Bible out loud or in your mind. The Holy Spirit that's indwelling you, he hears you reading the Bible. And the more you read, the more you, oh, good, now I can use that. Oh, good, now I can, I can bring that to his remembrance. Oh, good, now I can use that in his life. Go to Romans chapter 8. You're there in John. John Acts Romans. John Acts Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Romans chapter 8, 14. And this is going to be an entirely different sermon later on. We're going to talk about being filled with the Spirit or walking in the Spirit. But let's just look at a couple of verses about that real quickly. Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So notice that you can be led by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 18. If you're there in Romans, you go 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. If you're in Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians 5, 18 says this, but if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. You say, what does that mean? Here's what that means. If you allow the Holy Spirit of God to lead you, you don't need anybody to tell you. You don't, you don't need, look, if, if the Holy Spirit of God is leading you, and again, this, I feel like an infomercial for the rest of this, this series. We're going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit in another sermon. But if the Holy Spirit of God is leading you, and the fruit of the Spirit is evident in your love, love, joy, in your life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. He says, for such there is no law. Look, if you're loving your neighbor as yourself, if you're loving your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, 
If you're being conscious of how you deal with others and communicate with others, if you're, if you're reminding yourself before you speak, is it true, is it kind, and is it, is it necessary? If you're being led by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God, you don't need any, look, you're not going to need anybody to tell you, don't do that, don't go there. You're not going to need any laws telling you don't kill. You're not going to kill. You don't need anybody to tell you don't commit adultery. You're not going to commit adultery if you're led of the Spirit if you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. So the Holy Spirit guides. The Holy Spirit leads us. Go to Luke chapter 12. And let me show you an, an interesting application to this. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. And, and I, I, we could have gone to a lot of verses. I don't have time tonight. But all throughout the book of Acts, you find the Apostle Paul being led of the Spirit. He's being told, go there, don't go there. He's being forbidden to go certain places, and he's allowed to go certain places. And you say, well, how does that work? And honestly... I, I, don't, I don't know necessarily in, in the sense that I can't tell you here's how to identify when the Holy Spirit of God leads you. Here's what I can tell you. He's not going to audibly speak to you, okay? But I do believe, and I can prove this from the Bible, that God will lay things on your heart. I do believe that God will open doors and close doors. He will uh, allow things to happen and, and other things not to happen. And we have to be cognizant and, and realize, man, I, I feel like the Lord is leading me in this direction. And, that's, and that is God. It's the Holy Spirit leading you. And, and, and there might be times where, man, I, I, I thought I wanted to do this. And it seems like that door is closed and that door is closed and that door is closed. And maybe you need to realize, maybe the Holy Spirit is not leading me in that direction. And again, it's not a, a spooky Pentecostal, God told me to. God told me to go play the lottery, Okay. But the Holy Spirit will guide you. He will lead you, and we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to take control. Look at Luke 12 and verse 11. Here's an interesting application of that. Luke chapter 12, verse 11. And they, when they bring you unto the synagogues, this is talking about when you're getting persecuted as believers, and unto the magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. He says, don't, don't sit there and... Try to premeditate, uh, what am I going to say when they're going to take me in front of these people that are persecuting me? You say, why? Verse 12, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in that same hour what ye ought to say. The Holy Ghost is going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to empower you. And, and honestly, and again, I'm not trying to get spooky on you. Go to Romans chapter 8. You're there in Luke, Luke John, Acts, Romans. But there are, there are times when, I, when, I, 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 when I'm preaching the Word of God and I believe that the Holy Spirit, and I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is always on me and I wish He was, and, and we'll talk about that another, another week. But there are times when, I, when I'm preaching God's Word and I believe that the Holy Spirit is working in me and through me. And sometimes I'll make statements and I think to myself, where in the world did that even come from? Well, you know, I, that wasn't even in my notes. I, I, I started talking about this, and, 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 but it turns out three months later, four months later, somebody say, man, I made some major decision was made in their lives to, to, to get rid of something or do something or take a step of faith or whatever, and they'll say, it'll go back, and I'll, I'll think, man, that wasn't even in my notes. That's just the Holy Spirit, and God will sometimes lead you and guide you, and we have to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. We've been talking about the works of the Holy Spirit. What are they? Number one, He indwells. Number two, He seals. Number three, He teaches. Number four, He witnesses. Number five, He reproves. Number six, He guides. Number seven, He intercedes. The Holy Spirit of God intercedes on behalf of believers. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Bible says there very clearly that the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us, Romans 8.26, Romans 8.27, he maketh intercession for the saints. Now let me just uh, get off on a little Catholic rant for a second, but this is, this is a, I, whenever I think of this verse, I, I think of a major bash on the Roman Catholic Church. Here's why. They say, oh, we're not the saints. The saints are these special people somewhere, and not everybody's a saint. But here the Bible says, the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us, and then he says, he maketh intercession for the saints. So who are the saints? Us. What's funny is that the Roman Catholic Church has the wrong teaching about the saints, and then they pray to those wrong saints to intercede for them. And here God bashes their saints and says, and by the way, it's the Holy Spirit who intercedes. It's the Holy Spirit who intercedes on our behalf. It is the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I thought it was Jesus. Isn't he the intercessor? Doesn't the Bible say, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus? Here you're saying it's the Holy Spirit. Well, remember, we believe in the Trinity, which is one God that exists in three persons. And each person is all God and all of God. So you say, well, he's the intercessor, the Holy Spirit's the intercessor. It's God. It's the Holy Spirit of God who intercedes on our uh, behalf. Go, go to Jude. This is the last place we'll look at tonight. Jude, right before the book of Revelation. Um, you've got Jude. Jude chapter 1, verse 20. The Bible says this, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, notice, Praying in the Holy Ghost. Say, so what does it mean to pray in the Holy Ghost? It's not spooky. It's not weird. The Pentecostals have ruined a lot of these passages. To pray in the Holy Ghost simply means that you are praying that the Spirit itself will make intercession when you don't know what to say. And this is why often you'll hear me say this, and I try to teach you to pray this way, that we should pray for what we believe God wants, but then we should say, you know what? God, in case I'm wrong on that, in case I don't really understand, I don't have everything, all, all, the, all the pieces of the puzzle, I don't understand all of it, let your will be done. And, and God, I'm praying for this, and this is what I believe you want us to do, but I'm asking the Holy Spirit to intercede on my behalf, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit that he would make sure that the prayer gets up there the way it should. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit of God, the Spirit itself, maketh intercession for us. And that's what it means to pray in the Holy Ghost. To say, here's, here's what I'd like. Here's what I think you'd like. Here's what I'm praying for. But Holy Spirit, you, you fix that. You know what I need. You know what needs to be done. Let your will be done. And help me to be okay with that. Help me to be able to acknowledge that. Help me to be able to understand that. And this is the work. And this is the work that the Holy Spirit does. Let me give it to you one more time for those of you taking notes. He indwells, he seals, he teaches, he witnesses, he reproves, he guides, and he intercedes. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be able to uh, study the Bible and learn about the Holy Spirit and learn about the work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, just help us uh, to be able to acknowledge the Holy Spirit, to acknowledge the work that he does in our lives. Lord, help us to, to realize that when we read the Bible, we need to acknowledge the Holy Spirit, that he would 
that he would teach us, that he would guide us, that he would make the Bible uh, clear to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize that if someone is saved, that the Holy Spirit should be able to confirm that with their spirit, that the Holy Spirit should be able to teach them that and help them uh, to understand that. Lord, help